Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. This is episode 137, and it's been a minute since we were on the mic with you guys. So apologies for that, but it's been uh, it's been unavoidable. We've had some work things. We've had some family things. I've been working on some guests in the background and also building a website, which is going to be launching really soon, actually. So I'll keep you guys informed on that. You know, it's going to be where you can find the, the shows, the social, you know, all the sort of content that I intend, the YouTube, uh, when we launch that. Um, and I might even launch a blog uh, as well. I've been thinking about that. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you guys know when when that all launches. But as I said, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to actually get on the mic, update what's been going on, and kind of speak about some of the events that have been unfolding because there's been so many. And... I mean, you guys can stay up on what I think about things if you check out my Twitter feed um, at Quiet Part Loud. Uh, that's basically what I'm going to run through today because there's been some stuff. It's a great reminder of the things that have been going on that are important to me and I think, oh, I hope are important to you guys as well and just give my take on a couple of these things because, well, there's there's been a lot going on. Um it's in no particular order of importance that we'll talk about this first, but one of my favorite comedians and actors, uh, Brian Callen, well, maybe he's not one of my favorite actors. He's, um, if you don't know Brian Callen, Brian Callen's a podcast host. He was on a sketch comedy show a long, uh, long time ago. He's been in movies like the hangover and, uh, he plays coach Miller on, uh, the Goldbergs and schooled. Uh, he was recently like, this was about, again, about two weeks ago. Um, yeah, so no, just over a week ago. Um, anyways, he was, uh, he was accused of raping a woman 25 years ago. She gave her account to the LA times and then a couple of other girls, one who was, uh, shop clerk made a claim that he went to kiss her and was aggressive with her when he was in a in a clothing store I guess uh, and another one was a, a woman that he had an affair with over a period of years I believe it was that uh, effectively accused him of trying to get her to give him a blowjob for stage time and she was down on her luck and she was struggling with money and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these three claims came out and Brian initially, immediately came out and said, he wants to be very clear. His statement was, I've never raped, forced myself upon any woman nor offered to trade stage time for sex ever. The horrific and false allegations originated in today's LA Times will be addressed in detail in a special Saturday night edition of my podcast, The Fighter and the Kid, tomorrow. I will not allow the cancel culture to subvert what I know, and as importantly, what these women know is the truth. That was his original statement. Then he released a video on Twitter, effectively saying the, th the same thing, and uh just said he'd be taking a little bit of time away from his podcast and presumably he's addressing whatever is going on in the background. I haven't personally heard that he's been dropped by any of the networks or anything like that. And my issue with these things is that we have gotten to such a moment in time where you can just make allegations in national press and not take any subsequent measures that I know of anyways, and if this is not true, then please correct me, but until, well, when I last checked, which was probably a couple of days ago, no criminal action or criminal kind of investigation has been requested or granted or carried out in this case whatsoever. You have three women, 
who have made varying claims of severity. And I would say that the certainly the first one and that which dominated the story in the LA Times, which was about a, you know, what seemed to be a systematic rape um, after a night out in which they stayed in touch apparently, you know, throughout the years afterwards. And then this woman was going to take a role and did a chemistry reading or was going to do a chemistry reading with, with Brian Callen for a show, you know, 15, 20 years later. But what I'm not hearing is anything that would resemble like criminal litigation or a criminal proceeding of any kind. And we never do. It seems in a lot of these cases they just make these claims and then they seem to cycle out and are never really spoken about again and never really addressed again. And it's almost like a tornado, right? That's what this media storm is. It's almost like a tornado. These stories come through and they wipe out whatever's in its path that may be trying to stop it or present in this, you know, situation, an alternate narrative. And then, you know, a few minutes later or a few hours later, the tornado's gone, and in its wake is a path of destruction that you can try to rebuild, but it's almost futile because of the level of destruction that has been done. And I fear that the barrier to entry of making these full cancel claims has gotten so low that we are just willing to perceive these situations as guilty until proven innocent with an asterisk and that asterisk reads below you'll never be proven innocent because we don't believe you like it's almost like asterisk too late you know and I wonder because I mean the Crystalia thing you know, another comedian and associate of Brian went through the same thing. But if this is statutory rape, then surely there has to be some follow-up to that. I'm not a legal professional, so I don't know what the statute of limitations is on something like that, or if there even is one. So if there isn't, if you're, if you're going to come out with these claims, but you're not willing, like, it's hard to explain, right? Because if you've got the might and the will to come out and speak in a nationally syndicated newspaper or put something on a global platform like Twitter, but then you're not willing to go to the police subsequently and make an official situation of this. And in Brian's case, I don't even know how they would. I mean, the woman said she'd corroborated it, corroborated it over the course of, you know, the years with her friends. And But there seems to be a very systematic attack that's going on with some of these comedians in L.A. And I don't want to put my tinfoil hat on necessarily, but there's been a lot of movement in terms of how Joe Rogan positions himself politically and some of the comments he makes about, you know, say Joe Biden or some of the other candidates, Kamala Harris or whoever it may be, or how he speaks about, you know, certain shortcomings in his uh, profession as a comedian with people stealing jokes and, you know, different things like this. And it, it just seems to me very coordinated that they would sort of go at his inner circle because it's Brian Callen, it's Chris D'Elia, it's Brendan Schaub, and it's Joey Diaz. And it just seems very, very coordinated. But my, my main thing is, like, if he was proven, if this is true, then yes, of course, he's a piece of shit and he should be dealt with accordingly, right? by the police in terms of his career because you wouldn't want to associate with a person, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are true. But without 
real evidence and only going off of hearsay puts us in a really, really dangerous position, in my opinion. I am all for consequences that match the crime being handed down to people when they do something wrong. Please don't get me twisted on that at all. My problem is how easily you can ruin somebody just by making an accusation. And the lack of follow-up that happens with all of these scenarios makes me very curious and a bit dubious as to the validity of a lot of them. And again, I'm not calling anybody a liar. I'm just trying to look at it pragmatically and how it is actually how it is actually manifesting over time. Like what is what is the point of this? Is it just to ruin him or do you intend to press charges? Or you can't press charges and therefore you're just going to ruin his life for something that again if it happened was terrible but if it was a misunderstanding of, of, of any sort then this is a terrible terrible thing and another thing that gets me in these situations is what are the consequences for lying about it because I don't seem to see any. And I don't know Brian Callen. I've never met Brian Callen. I, admittedly, I have shared a couple of emails with him. Because we have a mutual friend in Los Angeles that I went to university with. Two-line emails. But I don't know Brian Callen. I only know him from the content which he's put out. And some of it, some of it is an act for sure. He is a jokey. He's a comedian for fuck's sakes. I mean, but he is a very considerate. He's a very intelligent person, from what I can see. An incredibly well-read and cultured individual, and also from what I'm hearing from other people that I wouldn't necessarily expect to hear from have come out vehemently and defended him over this and raised some of the same points that I've just made. So for me, it's just like, can we stop having Twitter as judge, jury, and executioner as soon as possible? Because it seems that your the severity of which you will be cancelled is almost aligned with the amount of tweets you can get about this subject. And if you hit that trending board in Twitter, it's, it's going to be a rough day. But then two weeks later, nothing happens. And I'm all for due process. I'm all for, as I said, getting the consequences aligned with the crime as much as possible but i'm also i am also vehemently against throwing people under the bus just because someone else said something about you and yes there are levels of severity in which you can say something about somebody else and they should be taken with a different level of consideration of course but without evidence are they not all accusations? Can we not hold on to a fundamental principle that you are innocent? In fact, you are innocent until you are proven to be guilty. And an accusation does not meet the bar, in my opinion, of casting guilt and lifelong destruction on another person that doesn't that doesn't equate to me so i just wanted to say a couple of things on that because i've followed brian callen for a long long time i've heard a lot of people speak to him i haven't just watched his comedy podcast i've watched many many interviews with him um some intellectuals that i also am a huge fan of 
who seem the most impartial thinkers and speakers in our society today consider Brian Callen to be of that level of integrity you expect from, you know, a person that you wouldn't have a problem defending. And again, I don't know him. Everything I have is, you know, third party, except for the videos, et cetera, et cetera. But again, I just wanted to say something about it because I just feel we're going to the lowest to the lowest threshold on everything for getting people in trouble and like identity politics, which we'll probably cover later today as well. And just this cancel culture. And I don't know, man, it's, it's a very slippery slope and we seem to be sliding very, very fast. Um, so yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't think that was too controversial. I think I spoke. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so the London mayor has come out and said, if you experience a high temperature, a new corona, uh, a new continuous cough, uh, loss or change of sense of smell or taste, then you must self-isolate immediately and book a test. That's it. And then they come out and they say, well, like 85% of people who have had coronavirus are asymptomatic. So, you're, that tweets for the 15% who might then say, you know what, I'm going to go get a test. They just, I mean, could they, could they fuck up a situation anymore on all level, on all levels? We're being asked, and I'm sure this is up on my list of things to talk about. We're being asked. I mean, this is ridiculous. The Guardian asked, is it fair for the UK taxpayer to fund the bailout for TFL to avoid higher fares? I'm just going to leave that for a second because I'm going to come back to it. And I just want you to think of how absurd a statement that is. But I want to take a second just to address what happened in Beirut. I'm not going to spend very much time on it. I'm also not going to put my tinfoil hat on at this point in time. But what happened over there is devastating. I don't know how many people are dead and how many people are injured now, but it looked like a nuclear bomb went off at the harbor in Beirut. And they're saying that it's ammonium nitrate that was stored uh, unsafely for six years. And that a mechanic, I believe, is the story that I read or saw on RT or AP, one of those two, said that a welder was welding near it and a spark went off and that caused it. Again, guys, I don't want to put my tinfoil hat on here, but that doesn't sound like a legitimate story, and I haven't investigated it terribly. All I wanted to say was that it was terrible, and, I mean, just devastating carnage that ensued from it. And I believe now that they're questioning whether or not it could have been a bomb or it could have been detonated on purpose, but... My thoughts just go out to anybody that's been affected by that tragedy because I'm watching the video now and it is just, whew, it's just jaw-dropping devastation. And if that's what the people of Iwo Jima or Nagasaki saw all those years ago, but on a scale that was, you know, incomprehensible wow and now if this is just a a case of negligence i mean can't we do better as a people but i don't really know what to say about something when when that sort of thing happens especially if it's just an accident 
like if it was a terrorist attack and again i'm not putting my tinfoil hat on then i'd be talking about this a whole lot differently but all you can feel is is sorrow for the people who have been affected because that's a downtown area i saw a video of the bride who was having her photos uh taken after her wedding looking beautiful and then just just explosion and debris and smoke and ash and everything all over the place i'm just like oh it's just it's just terrible i want to talk about something i saw on bbc's twitter feed this actually came from bbc bite size which is uh an educational platform that's been set up for kids during coronavirus and this one got me because you know i used to be a huge fan of the nba still love basketball but don't really watch the nba anymore uh but this was a piece from BBC Bite Size that featured a former NBA basketball player, John Amici. And John Amici's English. I think he's also, uh, he's a psychologist. Um, he's a, he's an author. And like I say, he used to play in the league. He was all right. Um, but he's done a piece on BBC Bite Size about what white privilege is. <clears throat> and I thought it was really just really interesting that he's gone through this and explained it in terms of, you know, having a disability and, you know, making more things wheelchair accessible and, you know, that this is really, really sad and it's really hard to hear. And, you know, even if you're white and you've had a really, really terrible time and you grew up in poverty and, you know, uh, you just had a real struggle of it, you know, just know that, that you had those struggles, but it wasn't because you were white. That's white privilege. And I'm just thinking, so you're talking to the fucking hundreds of thousands of white kids, right? Well, you're talking to hundreds of thousands of kids, period, right? BBC Bite Size. And you're taking this segment of the population who are children who are elementary school age. Don't know what this particular key stage was focused at, but let's let's guess that they are seven. Let's take a guess at seven. I don't know. He's basically saying to all the kids out there that might be starving that might be in an abusive household who might be going through tremendous amounts of mental um mental illness you know mental um strain because they've been stuck at home for damn near six months he's gone out and said to them just you know all that shit that you're feeling all those struggles that you're going through you can rest easy you can it's we get it we get it that's a problem but you can thank your lucky stars. It's not because of your skin color. I mean, how does this help? Because there's no way, for one, the BBC are going to do a uh, other side of that, an alternate viewpoint on that, right? They're not going to allow debate on this. It's white privilege or nothing. And... I'm really bothered by the fact that they'll just a publish this to children with what is made up of just someone's opinion. This is not teaching. This is uh, proselytizing a position. This is not teaching. This is just saying it hurts. It's terrible. And it happens to all of us, but not not to you because you're white. Or it doesn't matter as much about you because you're white. And all I want to see is, is, is a counter-argument. There's plenty of people on the internet. Coleman Hughes. There's plenty of people out there that are willing to have this conversation. For God's sake, you could get Zuby, who's a UK rapper. And, and he'll do a piece on this. On the opposite side of it. But why do we not allow context, balance, and nuance in any of our conversations? I just don't understand for the life of me why you would put something like this out that alienated people. And you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, what are you talking about? White privilege is a real thing. Listen, this is divisive. Children are not racist. Children of five, six, seven, eight, ten, they're not racist. They're not born racist. You learn racism. You learn discrimination. You learn identity politics. You learn gender politics. You're not born with these things. You're taught them. So, to teach them, 
surely, as a responsible purveyor of educational material, you would want to provide an alternate? Or is there no other look? Is it this or nothing? Because more and more, that's what the conversation seems to be. We're just siloed in these echo chambers, and on the progressive left, there is just this, I've talked about it before, this snake eating its own tail because you're never too progressive. You're never too progressive. And this is, a, again, a slippery slope because children don't know this. You think, you think black and white and Asian kids don't play together? Or you think they play together and they're like, oh my God, I've got this brown friend, I got this black friend. They don't talk like that. Children just get on. But to alienate one group of people and to basically say, it's not your fault, there's nothing you can do about it, you just got it, so deal with it. What kind of victim status does that put on those children who are already, su who are already suffering? through a tremendously difficult time of having their education disrupted, broken up, and delivered in a substandard way, let's be honest. You got Gavin Williamson, the education secretary, who we'll get on to a minute, into a minute. Um, but to have John Amici come out here in this, you know, calm, dulcet tone and just, you know, basically just say, like, this is not, it's not your fault, but you got to deal with it. This is creating a, a perpetual cycle of victimhood status, right? We're talking about reparations and, and how we compensate the black community and, and, and so on and so forth. Well, if we start to victimize young white kids as well, what do you think is going to happen? This cycle is just going to continue. This doesn't go away. This doesn't get rid of the, 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 <coughs> the sort of disgusting society that we have today and in many ways it's gross but this is a foundational issue and this is an educational issue and to create divisiveness between children or to make a kid ask himself am i to blame for all of this stuff that's happening to put that blame on him or her to put that blame on them is irresponsible to a magnitude that you're arguing against now because you're arguing the systemic racism has caused black people to have this sort of view of themselves, which, you know, in many respects will hold them back and not give them the confidence and not, they, they're, they're plagued with this systematic racism that holds them down. Even in thought, it holds them down. What do you think you're doing by guilting five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, like these problems of history are their problems. You have to educate inclusiveness as much as possible. Be a kid. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your neighbors. But to alienate these kids like this is so dangerous. And for me, I see the other side of it. I see all of that. But we're going way too far. This slippery slope of anti-racism training and things like this. This is crazy. This is crazy because it won't solve the issue. It will create a different problem. I'm reading the Gulag Archipelago right now. Unbelievable what happens when this kind of thinking... When identity politics starts taking over. When you place the haves and the have-nots in some sort of a battle with each other to the degree that we're doing now. And that the way the progressive left is taking this argument and saying, you have to be this progressive. That's not enough. You have to be this progressive. That's not enough. You have to be this progressive. All of a sudden, there's nobody left but the people that organize the thing. And then you're in a system of autocracy like we can't go that way we already know the story and you can't guise this in dulcet tones and 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 you know dulcet tones and just like a 
it seems like it's coming from a kind place. And that's the thing about this sort of stuff that I'm learning more and more. This stuff is always guised as a, it's the, it's for the greater good. It's for the greater good, but it's not, it's not. And we have to be very careful. And I'm all for equality of opportunity. I don't want anybody to be held back because of the melanin in their skin. Are you fucking crazy? That's absurd. It's absurd. Everybody should be given equal opportunity. Everybody. To do what they want. Not to be forced into this or forced into that. And we can have a conversation about equality of outcome because that's a fucking farce too. People want equality of outcome for things that are desirable. They don't want equality of outcome. But I just think it's really irresponsible that the BBC Bite Size would put this piece out about what is white privilege from John Amici, who's an ex-basketball player that alienates so many children into feeling guilt that is not theirs to shoulder. That is not their burden. We need to be educating our kids on inclusivity, on how we're all the same and how we get together in this thing rather than placing a bunch of guilt on people that's not theirs to begin with. And it would be great to see an alternate perspective on that on that thing, on, on this white privilege, on his case. Are we so afraid of debate? Are we so afraid of debate? I've watched hours and hours of Christopher Hitchens talking and debating with people, Sam Harris talking and debating with people. You watch William F. Buckley and James Baldwin in 19, what, 64, something like that? Fuck. Debate. Let ideas battle it out, not ideologies. So this is what I was talking about earlier with TFL. So the Telegraph, not the Guardian. The Telegraph. Should all UK taxpayers foot the bill for TFL to avoid higher fare increases? Now, to, to me, how do you even write this? I mean, if it's clickbait, if it's supposed to be clickbait, okay, I get it. But if this is a serious question, this is absurd. All right? Let me tell you why. Because I know you already know, but it's got to be articulated, right? We are already footing the bill. It's that simple. We're already footing the bill. Every subsidy, every pound of bailout will be put back on us. You think the Bank of England and the government, like, you think the Bank of England are going to call up Boris Johnson and be like, hey, man, you got that money? He's like, yeah, I got that money. Don't worry. First and 15th, like clockwork, baby. Don't worry about it. No, that's not how the economy works. This headline is ridiculous for two reasons. First of which I've already stated, we pay the bill. Our taxes will go up. Our services will get cut. They'll be looking for savings and austerity measures. Soon as they realize that this bailout, that they were throwing at everybody, and we talked about this on a previous episode, right? With, uh, who is it? EasyJet or Ryanair? One of them two fucking terrible companies. Got 600 million of this bailout money. And yeah, there's a lot of jobs at stake. But if an industry can't survive off the mismanagement of its ownership, then see you later. That's it. So point one is we're already footing the bill because we pay everything back in taxes or in cuts, right? So we're going to be worse off because of this pandemic financially for the next however many years. Believe that. Point two. And the most hilarious of the two points is they're going to put the fucking rates up anyways. Because if you've lived in London for any amount of time, you'll understand that it does not matter what the economy is doing. It does not matter what government is in place. It does not matter how hard it is for people during times like crisis that we're going through now. They don't care. 
the fares are going to go up anyways. And if I did a quick Google search, how much have the fares gone up every year on the London Underground for the last 10 years, it would make you want to vomit. I'm sure. And I don't even have the numbers in front of me. I don't need to look because I've lived here. The prices for the Underground are ridiculous. And talk about the mismanagement of a company. You walk through any underground station in this city and you will see a congregation of people who are supposed to be working or who should be working that are hanging around talking to each other or staring at their phones. And if you go up to them to ask them for anything, nine times out of ten, they're going to look like you look at you like you're an alien and that you've caused them some sort of emotional damage for interrupting their precious time of looking at whatever the hell is going on in Facebook. That's it. So <coughs> the underground, TFL as a whole, could lean their staff out. Am I talking about making job cuts? Sure. Does that help anybody if they lose their job? Absolutely not. But for you as a company to put that on us, and that question is offensive to me because should the taxpayers foot the bill for TFL? TFL get a bailout from the government. We're paying for that. That's your money paying TFL. You're keeping TFL alive. We're keeping EasyJet alive. We're keeping all of these companies, Chanel, who got all this money as a bailout. Fucking Chanel. You know what I mean? I know people whose small businesses are closing down by the minute. There's a company. I call them a company. There is a cafe in the borough which I live in one of the parks. They didn't qualify for any of the government's bailout money because they're an outdoor cafe, right? I don't know the nuts and bolts of that. You'll have to look into it yourself if you're interested. But the point of the fact is, the point of the matter is, they didn't get any cash to help them during COVID. They're a community business. They're a mom and pop shop. There's, you know, I think it's the woman and maybe like a few of her family that like run the place and it's a it's a little cafe coffee sweet uh, cakes uh sandwiches whatever <coughs> they didn't qualify they would have shut down they're done right they're not getting rich they're a community business that serves coffee to the local dog walkers and people who come in there to walk do a bit of exercise do a bit of yoga whatever so they went out to the community just the local community. And they say, guys, this is the deal. We don't, we don't qualify for any of the government's money. We're, we're going out of business. So if at all possible, what you would normally have spent on coffee, if you could donate that to us, it may be the little bit in a bigger picture that saves us. A month later, they've got nine grand. They're able to stay open, redo the place, and now they're busier than ever. But they're one of the success stories. For every one of those, there's five that are gone. And yet, they're going to still have to pay. This cafe who was self-sufficient and went to the community for help, they're still going to have to pay. Their business rates aren't going to go down. They might get some little freeze on them. But they're going to have to pay like all of us, this money back. So when the Telegraph asks a question like, should all UK taxpayers foot the bill for TFL to avoid higher fares or higher fare increases? I just laugh and I say, are you fucking kidding me right now? Because if anybody would answer yes to that question, they have no idea what's going on and I don't know what to do for you. But the point is this, we already pay them. We already pay the bills. We already foot the bills. All this bailout money is ours. Where the fuck did all this money come from in the first place? When we got people starving and resource poor, they can't afford their electric. They got to choose between their electric and groceries. And then they pull out 400 billion out of the fucking bank from nothing, from nowhere. And you can't help fix the infrastructure. I got potholes down my road, all around my neighborhood. Where's my money for the council? There's garbage all over, right? My wife has been, she wanted to do it. I'm not interested, but I'll go out for a walk with her. She'll go out <clears throat> and she'll pick up litter off the street around our house. 
She's an environmental activist for the borough that we live in. Should we not get some subsidy on our council tax for that? I'm just asking. There's a question. Should we not get some subsidy on our council tax for that? Because if our council tax was being used effectively, she wouldn't be necessary to go out and litter pick. You know what I'm saying? Like when you just break shit down and you start to think about it like that, you see how stupid these things are and you see how stupid the people that we have running things are and how we have to hold we have to hold these people to account. We have to speak out on these things. We have to tell people about this stuff. You have to give people a different perspective to look at things because if all they do is watch the BBC, Sky News, ITV, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, they don't know a fucking thing. They don't know anything because nobody's critically thinking these days. There's, Of course, there's people critically thinking, but for the most part, they're just scrolling. They're just scrolling and retweeting, scrolling and retweeting. They're not reading the articles. They're not reading seven, ten paragraphs down. There's no way because that's where the devil in the details is, right? It's like the whole story of, oh, um, 17-year-old boy uh, dies of coronavirus. Everybody starts freaking out because now it's affecting, uh, now it's killing teenagers. <clears throat> you roll down and read the whole part, uh, the whole um the whole story, the kid's massively obese, he's got diabetes, he's got all these underlying conditions, it's like, okay, that matters, because that's the context, that's the nuance of the situation. But if you just listen to these top-line, five-story running 24, like, how can you run six stories in 24 hours and call yourselves a news operation? I'm going to do an hour on this podcast today, and we've already covered more than what you probably get on the news. You know what I'm saying? Like, they've got time. They just don't want to because it doesn't sell adverts, and it's not, it doesn't keep eyeballs, right? Why? Because the majority of us don't critically think. And to just reinforce all of that, you get a report from CNN, because of course I read CNN, of course I read MSNBC, of course I read Fox News, of course I read all of them. The problem is most people just pick one and stay there. And if you're going to have some sort of an informed opinion, realistically, you got to read them all. You got to read them all, you got to take some And you got to read Independence as well, because the devil's in the details. But of course, I read CNN, and this came from CNN International, right? This was, what was this, a couple days ago. Um, So, and this goes towards my point, right? Critical thinking, all of that, or just following along. People are getting sick and even dying after swallowing hand sanitizer. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says... It's 2020, and that's a headline. But, of course it is when you've got a president that only two, three months ago, which nobody talks about, advocated disinfectant as a cure to coronavirus. So, of course, when you've got things like the Tide Pod Challenge, of course you get a headline like, people are getting sick and even dying from swallowing hand sanitizer, the CDC says. And all I, I mean, all I think when I see something like that is Darwinism. I just think, well, okay. I mean, what were the, if you're, if you're going down the route of thinking that drinking hand sanitizer will help you cure coronavirus or help you in any way, shape or form is a good idea. I got to question how much you're actually contributing to the world that we live in if I'm being completely honest, and that may be a very harsh thing because I don't know who these people are and I don't want anybody to die, especially not from drinking fucking Purell, okay? It's terrible. But I can only think of one word and that's Darwinism because you either adapt or you go go extinct. And, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Can you think for any reason why you would, oh, works on my hands, takes all the bacteria off my hands. I wonder what it's going to do to my guts. I mean, come on, guys. We have to be better 
as a human race than drinking hand sanitizer. Anywho, what else have we got? <laughs> what else have we got? So, it's it's now about 90 days until the U.S. presidential election. Can you believe this? I mean, you've got Donald Trump, who, you know, we've been talking about for the last few years and didn't think he was going to make it this far. And you've got Joe Biden, who basically doesn't mind asking reporters if they have to take drug tests before they come on air to check that they're not coked up. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So we've got one guy who is absolutely losing his mind in a more medically, I guess, defined way. I mean, fucking Joe Biden's got dementia, right? Obviously, he's got like early stage dementia. I mean, it seems to be getting worse every single time I see an interview with the guy and nobody's talking. I mean, they've started talking about it now, thank God. But he's got no chance in a debate against Donald Trump. <coughs> He's got no chance in a debate against Donald Trump. And the simple fact of the matter is that in all of the Democratic Party, of all of the Democratic supporters in America, the Democratic Party as a whole, or the powers that be in the executive suite, said, let's run with Biden. <laughs> let's run with good old Joe. He's a bit touchy-feely. But he won't remember it, so doesn't matter. Um, his memory, his memory's like the news cycle. His memory is like Twitter. It's like two days and it's gone, max. I mean, Joe Biden could be the president, and I mean he's not right because right now they're in the process of telling him who his vice president is going to be, and that's ultimately who's going to be the president, because Joe Biden could probably barely write his own fucking name at this point. So, recently it's been touted that uh, Kamala Harris could be the one, right? Because she ticks the boxes. She's a female. She's a female of color. She's um, U.S. District Attorney, right? Or the California's District Attorney, something like that. Horrible track record, by the way, if you want to have a look at who Kamala Harris was in her career and what she did to, uh, and you can get a better explanation of this on other podcasts, but she ignored evidence that would exonerate people. She was just, uh, she, she set up something that was basically prosecuting mothers or parents if their kids were late for school and you could potentially go to jail for this. And she could be the president. She is... She is definitely not my first 50 choices for the person who should be president of the United States. Let's just put it that way. Okay? But she's she's looking like a front runner. Elizabeth Warren, obviously, you've still got her. Um, it's likely going to be a woman. <coughs> what would be better would be Andrew Yang. But uh, that's a conversation for another day as well. But I just got to thinking about it. I was like, well, ever, all the polls in America have Joe Biden winning. And that's one thing in itself, right? Because every poll in America had Hillary Clinton kicking the shit out of Donald Trump. And he beat her on the night in terms of the uh, electoral college. Obviously not in the popular vote. But that doesn't matter, right? That doesn't matter. That's like saying, oh, I came in second and I would have won if you counted the winner before you started the race. Like, it doesn't matter. That's not how you calculate the win. The win in American politics is electoral college, and that is the way it is until somebody changes it. So it doesn't matter if you got the popular vote. You fucking lost, right? So anybody that says, oh, well, she got more votes, I get your argument. And I, at one point in time, I was like, yeah, well, maybe popular vote is a good thing, but that could probably be manipulated and then just becomes even more of a popularity contest. So, you know, I don't know. <coughs> Does there need to be electoral reform in America? Yeah, but I'm not going to use this podcast to go into my thoughts on it. So what it did get me to thinking about was, can you imagine if the polls are right this time, and this goes with the guy who I guess has predicted every uh, presidential victory since Ronald Reagan, like he's got every single election correct, he even picks Joe Biden, but 
I don't know. We'll see. I have a sneaky feeling Trump might squeak this one out. And maybe that's the curse he needs. Because it seems no matter what happens, if I bet on something, even a sure thing, the opposite's going to happen on that, which is why I don't bet. But maybe me saying Donald Trump's got a real shot this time is uh, is just the just the push old Joe needs to get him over the finish line. I just hope they don't debate. If they debate, Joe's dead and this whole thing could go to shit and you could have Trump for another four years. But can you imagine if Joe Biden wins? Joe Biden will be the president. Kamala Harris will be the president, the vice president, but really the president. They will, they have a real potential to win the Senate and they already control the House. So that's a royal flush in terms of politics in America, in case you don't know. Um, and with the ideologues in the Democratic Party at the moment and what they're doing, I think, to fund the whole rhetoric of the Black Power Movement or the Black Lives Matter Movement, Black Power Movement, the Black Lives Matter Movement, I think it could be Gilead. I'll just say it like that. I think it could be Gilead. And the sad thing is Trump is not an option. And it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter technically because I can't vote. But it does matter because America affects the whole entire world. And it does matter. So I just feel it to be a terrifying situation all, all around. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say terrifying, like you think I'm like curled up in my bedroom at night, like shaking, worrying about it, because it's not that, because as we said before, how much does high level politics actually run your day to day life? It really doesn't. But I'm just a kind of a political geek. And I, I love that shit. It's like the best soap opera in the world. I don't watch reality television like that. So this is kind of my reality television. I watch politics. Um, but to me, that seems like a recipe for uh, The Handmaid's Tale. If Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were the ticket that won. They win the Senate because they announce, you know, they get they get to swing in the Senate and they already have the House and they hold that. That would be that's that's terrifying to me. I don't actually know what's more terrifying, another four years with Trump or that. And I would hazard a guess that there's a lot of Americans thinking about that. And I think that's a real worry and a real concern. And I think with that plus Kanye's stupid ass running for president as well, they could potentially swing some voters back Trump's way. So I, all I'll say at the end of this is just be wary of polls because how many polls have you answered in your life? Because I've answered none. I don't answer surveys because I'd rather clean my fucking toilet than answer a survey. So I don't know who answers surveys, but I know one thing. They got it massively wrong in 2016 when they said that Hillary on the night had something like an 85% chance of winning. For anybody out there that likes statistics, you can use them any way you like. But 15% is a pretty big chance. And it turned out to be right. So be careful of polls is all I'll say. All right. Um... Yeah, I mean, I could talk about Kanye as well, but I'm not going to. That's boring. Um, the last thing I wanted to say was something I saw today. Uh, this was hilarious because it came up my Twitter feed uh, like in, in sync one after another. It was beautiful. I couldn't have I couldn't have imagined it. And it was in regards to uh, the kids in the UK going back to school, which is obviously, you know, major priority for everybody right now and super important and really critical in terms of, you know, kids development, their mental health, etc. Right. All of those reasons, physical activity, socializing, etc. So the talking point now is that like, you know, schools are safe. Schools are safe. Kids don't transmit it, right? That's what the UK is saying. That's what Gavin Williams, our education secretary, the main guy in charge of our education in the UK, Gavin Williamson, he comes out and he says, schools are safe. Schools are safe because kids don't pass them. So schools aren't even a risk of coronavirus spreading, right? So let's get, let's go. Let's go straight back to school. No problem, right? September, we're in. Perfect. Works for me because it affects my business. And if the schools are in, great. That means things are busy. Great. Perfect. The very next tweet, right? 
the, the tweet that came up first was little evidence of COVID spread in schools, says Gavin Williamson. The very next tweet, that was from The Guardian. This is from CNN. More than 97,000 students in the U.S. tested positive for coronavirus in the last two weeks of July, a new report says. I mean, what scientists are we talking to here, guys? Like, who? I mean, I know that's one government and another, but surely you guys, the health officials of those nations are talking to each other, I would imagine, or the CDC or the WHO. I just thought that was hilarious because throughout all of this crisis and all of this COVID garbage, there have been so many situations, so many situations when you can highlight the absurdity of the information that the government provides, the strategy that they're implementing, the measures they're taking to get us through, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see these all across the world, but mostly I'm talking about the US and the UK. And all along this pandemic, you can see how this information they've given us on all this strategy has turned out to be an absolute load of shit. And the fact is that they would just come out and admit, listen, guys, we started two fucking months late, way too late. We would have had this whole thing sorted. We would have had, we, we ballsed it up. I'm really, really sorry. We fucked it up. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We're going to have an inquiry. We're going to find out who was accountable. If there is anybody account, they will be, you know, dealt with accordingly, right? But they just keep doubling down on their incompetence and bullshit and, and misinformation and, and ill-advised strategy. And now they're coming out and saying, listen, we got to get kids back to school because we need those people back to work and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. We could go down that road a long time. Apparently, the UK has the lowest amount of people in offices throughout Europe um, since lockdown measures have eased, let's say. So they need them back to school. They need people back to work. They need things to keep going and kick off. There's no, you know, the, the transition between what our economy was and what our economy is going to be. We're going through a real tumble dryer of that right now. So Gavin Williams, little, little evidence COVID spreads in schools, right? Quote, boom, perfect. <laughs> very next tweet, very next tweet. More than 97,000 children in the U.S. tested positive for coronavirus in the last two weeks of July. So, one would tell me that the other one is bullshit. <laughs> I don't know how you think, but I try to triangulate things a little bit, and that doesn't even need triangulation. That just worked out in sequence for me, and I thought that was brilliant. And I have a day off today, and the sun is shining, and everything is good, so why not end on a little synchronicity in an all you know, in an otherwise fucked up algorithm that is Twitter. So that's it for us, guys. I'm going to wrap. Uh, I told you it'd be about an hour and we're just about there. So I got to get the reps in. I got to get back into it. I got to get more shows out for you guys. And I plan to, um, I, I really got to refocus and, and rededicate. I want to get this website out and I definitely will. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter, follow us on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, Spotify, Wherever you get podcasts, we're probably there. Either we've put it there or somebody's taken the RSS feed. So it's everywhere. And as soon as this thing launches, we're going to let you know. In the meantime, I'm going to work on a video editor to try to sort some of the video content we've got so we can get that up on YouTube because I realistically don't have the time for it. Um, but I really want to bring that to you soon because that seems the way forward. Anyways, that's it for episode 137, guys. Really appreciate you. Check us out on Twitter, all the other places I told you. And... With any luck, we'll be back next week to do this thing all over again. But I appreciate your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.